Good afternoon, everyone. Delighted that you're here. It's already been a wonderful day. We're very grateful for this faithful church and all of you sweet people that come here again and again and again. Will you stand with me, please? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him into a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. I want to speak to you on a subject one of a kind, one of a kind. God bless you. You may be seated. There are lots of verses in the Bible that people um, misquote. They either add things or leave things out. One of the most common ones is in Romans chapter 8. Many people quote this and say, we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. But that's not what it says. It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. It doesn't say to them who are called according to his purpose. It says to them who are the called according to his purpose. It is talking to a very, very specific group of people. Church, another word for church is uh, ecclesia. Simply means the called out ones. And um, Peter referred to this in uh, chapter 2 and verse 9. He said that um, we are a chosen generation. Now, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that I, I enjoy going to places in the Bible where most people don't visit unless maybe they're reading the Bible through the, that year and they have to read it. Most people do what I've done. They'll, Matthew chapter 1 for most people starts in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. Most people don't read the first 17 verses. It's boring progenitory. It's, it's boring family. This begat this and this man begat this and most people don't... Uh, Spend time with it. However, if you will take time to read those first 17 verses, in those, it'll say something like this. There were 14 generations between Abraham and David. And there were 14 generations from David until the carrying away into Babylon. And there are 14 generations from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ. 42 generations. However, 
If you count the names that are recorded in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 17, there are 41 names. The reason for it is very obvious. Jesus Christ has no nieces. He has no nephews. He is never referred to as Uncle Jesus or Grandpa Jesus. Jesus has sons and daughters. He is our father, and the word teaches that the church is our mother. This mother that we are a part of is a very, very, very special situation. This mother had 120 children at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. But before the day was over, she had 3,000 more children. The church has been birthing children ever since the day of Pentecost. And there are still no grandkids, no great-grandkids. The Bible said he is the firstborn among many brethren, which means we, we are brother and sister to Simon Peter. He's not some distant relative of ours. We, we are brothers in Christ. That relationship is very unique. You see, ladies and gentlemen, after Jesus, there wasn't one generation and then another and then another and then another. There's just been one generation after Jesus. That's why we are the chosen generation. We are the 42nd generation. It says that we are a holy nation. It says that we are royal. It says that we are peculiar people. The word peculiar in the original language doesn't mean odd or strange. The, the, the definition of peculiar in the Greek language is precious possession owned by one. The church is that precious possession. And it is referred to in the scripture as the called. Because if you go on, it says that we are chosen generation. It says that we are royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not just any people. We are the called. And because of that position that we occupy, what we have is a position of reaching. This is what Paul said. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, which means I don't have it yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth or ahead of me unto those things which are before me. I've met too many people in my travels through the years whose reaching is restricted because they are forever tied and tangled to the past. 
Paul said, my reach is relegated to the future. He said, I, I'm not thinking about anything else. There are 259 other points, or I guess 359 points in the cosmos, and then there's one, 360. It's, you can't do this like a broom to where there's just points going everywhere. It's got to be like a spear. This one thing I do. I'm going to forget everything else. I'm going to forget everything that's behind me. And I'm going to reach into tomorrow. I'm going to reach into the things which are before. Our reach, ladies and gentlemen, we will be severely hampered and limited if we're constantly comparing it to our past. Look at your neighbor and say, we are not inadequate. And I'll tell you why. Because the word says, we are complete in him. There are no chinks in the armor. There are no flaws. There are no deficiencies. We are complete in him. You and I have been tasked and trusted with being the harvesters in this city. Hallelujah. There's a place in the book of Revelation where he said, if you won't shine, I'll take away your candlestick. Which to me means God would rather have a city in darkness than to have a church in that city that won't shine. Our job is to shine, to bring wholeness and healing, to be harvesters in this city. And I'm convinced that his presence is in this room today to heal, to heal your heart, to loose your hands so that we can do the work that we've been called to do. I know I've been telling you for the next nine weeks and that technically it starts next Sunday, but in my mind it starts today with this message to you. Because again, I've heard people misquote this verse. I've heard people say, the anointing will break the yoke. That's not what it says. In Isaiah 10 and verse 27, it says, the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Broken things can be repaired. You can glue them back together. You can put screws in them. You can nail them. But you can't repair something that's been destroyed. God will destroy the yoke, the bonds, the barriers, the limitations that the enemy wants to place on our life. Because Satan is known as the prince of the air. Do you know what air is? Nothing. He is the prince of nothing. Do you know what a prince is? Nothing. He has no throne. He has no authority. He's in line. Satan's got a problem. 
in order for him to be the king, one of two things has to happen. Either the king has to die or has to abdicate the throne. But you have a problem with that. Because in the Bible it says, the Lord Almighty Omnipotent reigneth. Reigneth is in a unique Greek word. It's a present, present progressive verb. It means he's doing it and he's going to keep on doing it. And he's not going to stop doing it. The Lord Almighty Omnipotent is on the throne. He's going to stay on the throne. So Satan is prince to a throne that will never be vacated. You're always going to stand in line. The only thing Satan is heir to is not a throne, but a pit. That's what he's going to inherit. Because the Bible refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. That's in the book of uh, uh, Revelation chapter 12. The accuser of our brethren is cast down. Now listen to this verse in 1 John 2 and 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, watch out, watch the wording, watch how accurate the word is. We have an advocate with the Father. It doesn't say, and Jesus Christ. It says, we have an advocate with the Father, comma, Jesus Christ. <laughs> One translation calls him our best friend priest. But I like the NIV because it says he is our defense attorney. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Satan is the accuser. Jesus is the excuser. What the enemy keeps accusing you of, the advocate will forgive and excuse you of. Because the word talks about strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 2, 4. For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What in the world are those? All you have to do is read the next verse. Casting down imaginations. Things that you imagine. This is what the message says. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers that have been erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life. I like that, smashing warped philosophy. If you listen to me today, this will revolutionize your walk with him. Because according to this word, you and I have the ability to reach up and pull something down that's had a very strong hold on your life. Things that are mentally molesting you. Evil imaginations. I'm going to lose out with God. No, you aren't. Everybody else in my family walked away. I'm doomed and damned to do it myself. No, you aren't. That habit is going to keep me prisoner forever. No, it's not. No, it's not. We are launching on the 27th, ladies and gentlemen. And behind me, you'll see a rocket taking off. If you ever heard any of the Apollo shots or the Gemini or those early missions, they've got a series of things that 
that flight director talks about. And are, 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 are you ready, Capcom, communicate? Yes, go flight. Are you ready, Fido? Yes, go flight. And all of a sudden they start that countdown and bam, those, those, those lines that are keeping all that liquid oxygen cooled and bam, they snap off and that tower that's supporting that rocket just falls away and that thing's standing alone and all of a sudden that bomb goes off underneath of it and it just, those fellows are literally riding a, a, a bomb going off. That's, that's, that's what a, a rocket like that is. This is the launch. This is where we are right now. The, the strings are going to be untied. The pipes and anything that supported us until now is going to have to go. We are literally cutting our ties with everything that has ever had a hold on us. We're launching into something brand new, something very powerful, something very, very, very exciting. And there are various ways I'm sure that the enemy attacks you, but I'll tell you how he attacks me because I have evil imaginations as well as you. And my most evil imagination goes like this. Are you out of your mind? Where in this world are you going to get $7 million? All you are doing is just creating a scenario where you're going to be humiliated and the work of God is going to be set back for an entire generation. What is wrong with you, Harold? Are you out of your mind? And so what you got to do in prayer is you got to reach up and you have to pull down an evil imagination and you've got to reach into tomorrow. You have to stretch and reach into tomorrow. It's an evil imagination. You can't do this. No one has ever done this before. You can't do this. My grandma Miney's gone, but I still remember one thing my grandma Miney used to say. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. And so that's what I do again and again. I plead the blood. I plead the word. I plead the power of the Holy Ghost over this tormenting imagination because our past and our rotten roots and our sorry traditions don't need to hold us back any longer, ladies and gentlemen. I'm preaching to people today who have a miracle in your life. And as Mary did, there are probably going to be people in your family that will have a problem with that because they won't understand it. I've always believed that Elvis Presley doomed his own life, declaring that he would die at the age of 42, just like his mother did. And when he turned 40, his everything just, he knew, he knew I've only got two years left. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've got to do what my mom did. I've got to do what my family did. Your family gene pool may have been a swamp and a sewer, but the word says you're washed. You're justified. You're sanctified in the name of Jesus and by the spirit of God. I had a miracle happen to me yesterday. It broke a, a stronghold in my life. I, I'm not at liberty to divulge with you circumstances of that. But I am living proof today, right now in front of you, that this God that we serve can make things happen that just seem so impossible. So, so, 
just torment you. Never going to happen. I've quoted it for years, but I never really saw it until I was gone and I started comparing two places that I've preached to you many, many, many times. Isaiah chapter 61 and Luke chapter 4. When Jesus began his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he was baptized by John the Baptist. He went into the wilderness. He came out of the wilderness, the Bible said, full in the power of the Holy Ghost. And then it says, and as his custom was, he went to Nazareth on the Sabbath day. And it was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah. He's 30 years old. You can't be a priest until you're 30. And you always have to be publicly washed. Jesus is now of the age to be a leader. He goes to the synagogue and chooses to read this. This is what it says in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now I'm gonna to read to you what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance of captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. There's a lots of similarities in the beginning. It's what my Aussie friends would call spot on. Isaiah said, he sent me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Jesus tweaked it a little bit, which he's allowed to do because he's the word, you see. And if it's your word, well, you can tweak it. I can't take those liberties with his word, but since it's his word, he, he can, and he did. Because he said, I've been anointed to preach the gospel, not, not the good news but, or good tidings, but I've been sent to preach the gospel, not to the meek, but to the poor. He tweaks it a little bit, but it's pretty much the same. And then he said, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah said, bind up the brokenhearted. So we're very, very, very close right here. And then he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's what Isaiah said. And that's what Jesus said, to preach deliverance to the captives. But then Isaiah said this, to open the prison to those that are bound. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said to set at liberty them that are bruised. Isaiah said it would be a prison, but he didn't describe what the prison was all about. He didn't describe why you were in prison. Jesus did. You got bruised. You got bruised. Said then there's gonna be the vengeance of God acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, God's upset about something. What is he upset about? That you got bruised and he is here to free you from the bondage of the bruise. Do you get bit? I, I, I've been bit by a snake before. I've never been bit by venomous snake. I was in Oklahoma about a month ago and um, the pastor there showed me, a, he said, this, this was my latest catch. 
and he had a rattlesnake and his head, the head of the snake was above, this guy's over six foot tall. He had the rattlesnake's head above his head and the tail was still dragging the ground. Uh, I don't think it was trick photography. All I know is that snake looked as big around as my leg. He said, this is the biggest one I ever caught. And I'm just going, what, what is wrong with you? Because I don't know about you, but be he big, be he little. I hate snakes. I hate them. All these people that can hold them, yeah, oh, isn't this a beaut? No, 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 man. If, if, I'm, if I see a snake on the road and there's not other cars, the dude's getting run over. I'll back up and I'll run over him again. If that don't work, I'll back up, go fast, slam on my brakes and slide my tires across him. I, I, if I got a gun, I'm gonna shoot him. If there's a rock, if there's a stick, I'm gonna stone him, I'm gonna whack him. I'm gonna kill him. I hate snakes. I've, I've never seen anyone bitten by a poisonous snake. I've seen it on YouTube. And uh, let, me, let me give you a for example here. Let's say you get bitten by a poisonous snake. You have two choices. You can either get mad and upset and do your best to run that dude down, jerk him out of his hole, and let your heart rate get about twice normal and just beat the living fire out of him. And problem is, is while you're doing that and your heart rate is accelerating, it's pumping that venom through your body. And yes, you will kill the snake, but you're gonna kill yourself in the process. The other option is you do your best to stay calm and cool and make your way to a physician that's got the antivenom that can fix your problem. My lesson is simple. Quit dedicating your life to kill the critters that have bitten and bruised you in the past. Lift up your hands. Lift up your eyes to the physician that can mend what's going on in your life. Do not remain a prisoner of your past. Do not let the bruise of the past become your prison. Jesus came here to set us free. you something. Let me read you a great verse. This is Luke chapter one. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. It came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zechariah after the name of his father. His mother answered and said, not so. He shall be called John. And they said unto her, there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. They made signs to his father. If you know the Bible, he can't speak right now. And how he would have him called. What, what, what do you want him to be called, Zechariah? And he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed and he spoke and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what manner of child this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Zachariah's family is struggling with a miracle. We have to name him Zachariah. 
We have to do what we've always done. Daddy's name is Zechariah. We got to call this boy Zechariah. And they literally did call him Zechariah until it got to Elizabeth and she said, nope, his name's going to be John. John means blessed of God. That's why there's this great verse. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. In other words, all the relatives are saying, let's keep it in the family. Let's stay with tradition. Let's stay in the comfort zone of our family. But Elizabeth said, nope, we're not doing what we've always done. His name's not going to be Zechariah. His name's going to be John. And they said, but there is none of thy kindred that's called by thy name. Nobody's ever been called John in his family. There is now. Listen to this verse with Revelation. The law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Now, if you read about John the Baptist, you're going to have to go to the New Testament. You'll find him mentioned in Matthew chapter 3, in Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 1. He's not mentioned much in the book of John, but... uh, You want to read about John the Baptist, you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Listen again to what it says. The law and the prophets were until John. Jesus one time said, there's never been a greater man born among women than John the Baptist. He went on to say, but he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. He was talking about the church, but the church not born yet. He is saying, until the church shows up, there's never been anyone on this planet like John the Baptist. See, John, we got Old Testament, New Testament, but John the Baptist is neither. He's not Old Testament. He's not New Testament. John the Baptist is a hinge between the Testaments. The law and the prophets were until John. But once John showed up, It was never going to be the same again. The end result of addition is called a sum. The end result of multiplication is called a product. The end result of division is called a quotient. But the end result of subtraction is known as a difference. When you decide to get rid of those imaginations that have been mentally molesting you, you will be a different person. And at the beginning of this campaign, please remember, only different people make a difference. And if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to be willing to subtract some things out of our lives and get some old ways of thinking and some old ways of doing things and say, that's the way it's always been done, but not now. This is a John the Baptist miracle. Never gonna be the same after this. This is different. Because it says in Genesis 37, and Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. (laughs) My mother's here today somewhere. Where are you at, Esther? She asked me years ago, 
What, what, what do you want to do with your life? I was 16 years old. I told her I wanted to marry Renee. She tried to talk me out of it. She said, oh, there's a lot of girls, Harold. And I said, not for me. I'm going to marry Renee. And I'm going to learn how to fly an airplane. And I'm going to see my baby born. I'm going to be there when my children are born. And I'm going to go around the world. And I'm going to do it before I'm 25. And I'll never forget my mom sitting at the edge of that bread in that little room we were in. And she shook her head and she said, you were always such a different boy. You were always such a different boy. But my sweetheart's here, right there. I call her 31 now because uh, she's just, her waist just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. At last look, she was 31 inches around the waist, so I, I just refer to her as 31. And if uh, she keeps going, she'll disappear within the next three months, and I'll be married to a memory. But, uh, uh, but there she is. The girl that everybody told me I couldn't have, but there she is. And I was there when Brittany was born in Little Rock and I was there when Ashley was born in Atlanta. And I never got licensed, but I did fly planes. And on my 25th birthday, I was in Heathrow Airport in London, having gone all through China and all through Japan and all through the East and came around the other side of the planet and then went into Paris and ultimately into New York City and celebrated my 25th birthday coming around the other side of this planet. My dad and mom, and my family, we were hillbilly people. We never strayed far. There was a joke in our family about a neighbor we had. He said, one of these days, I'm gonna take a trip to Tiltonville. You have to understand that Wellsburg, West Virginia is on the Ohio River and right across the Ohio River, which was about a mile wide. My cousin and I, we used to swim it. It wasn't that far away. Just about a mile away from Wellsburg across the Ohio River was Tiltonville, Ohio. And my neighbor would say again and again, one of these days, I'm gonna take a trip to Tiltonville. He died before he ever made it over there. That was just the way it was. You, you stayed, you, you didn't make trips, but, but God blessed me. And, and, and because of the gospel and because of God's calling on my life, I, I married that girl and I've had a wonderful family and, and I, I've been able to travel and I've, I've gone to places that my dad in his wildest dreams would have never, ever, ever believed. I sat with kids when I was 13 years old in a camp meeting in Ohio and I told two of my supposed friends, Tim Newstrand and Huey Rose, I said, I'm gonna preach here one day. And they got a big kick out of that. And they tormented me mercilessly, mercilessly for I don't know how many years. There's the big guy that's gonna preach at that camp meeting. They thought that was crazy. But I preached that camp meeting seven times since then. And I don't know where those other fellows are now, but I know what God did for me. Here's what the word says. It says that Jacob lived in a place that was strange to his father. I've been able to experience things that nobody in my family has ever been able to experience before. I could have said, I'm not supposed to do that because nobody's ever done that. Nah, no, 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 this is, this is different. See, ladies and gentlemen, do not let your family and your past and your memories hold you down. 
You can do more than visit. You can live. You can live in a place that is off the charts with everybody else in your family. God can do things in your life that no one in your family has ever done, ever. And you can live there. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, we are not trying to repeat history. We're trying to make history. God has chosen you to see things and to have things and to experience things that no one else in your family has ever seen or ever possessed or ever experienced. And you're going to live there. You're going to live there. I don't want to be par for the course. I was taught all my life, you go play golf, you go to hell. And then I married Renee and I was came back from our honeymoon. Her dad woke me up at six in the morning one day and said, if you're going to be my son-in-law, you're going to play golf. And he gave me an old three wood and a bag of shag balls and away we went. And I still remember the first time I played golf and I just whiffed that thing again and again and I couldn't, couldn't imagine. Baseball players swing at things going 95 miles an hour and they still manage to connect with that thing. That golf ball does not move and I couldn't hit that thing. And my father-in-law hit, others would hit. I determined in my heart, I was gonna figure out how to play that game. And, and I, because if you know anything about golf, it's, it's called par, it's called par. Usually there's 18 holes on a golf course and there's usually going to be, you know, four par fives. There's gonna be four threes and the rest of them are gonna be par fours. And if you can par every one of these holes and shoot 72, that's, that's, that's really, really good. But if, 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 if you're gonna make any money, you can't shoot par. You, you gotta you got shoot under par. You, you, in the spirit, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to be par. I, I, I don't want to do my best just to run with the pack. They say if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. All you're ever going to see is the tails of somebody else that's in front of you. The struggle, ladies and gentlemen, is not to be normal and not to be similar. No, 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 no. It's not difficult to see someone who's just a little bit ahead of you and you maybe step on a limb and say, I think I could do that. Or, or, or possibly look over your shoulder and see what's happened in somebody else's life and say, I, I, I believe I can do that. But can you imagine <laughs> with me for something that has never happened here before? Yes. Mary, Mary. I want you to partner with me, Mary. I, 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 I want you to step out of history, Mary. I, 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 I want you to go beyond the normal and the average. I, I, I want you to share something with me, Mary, that, that has never happened before and will never happen again. This is a one-time shot, Mary. There's only going to be one son of God that's ever going to be given to this world. Can you imagine, can you imagine with me, Mary, that what's going to come out of you is gonna walk on water? Can you imagine with me that what's coming out of you can, can literally stop funeral possessions? Can you, can you imagine with me, Mary, that, 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 that what's going to be born from your loins is going to be 
able to open up deaf ears and open up blinded eyes and take demonic filled prisoners of the, of, the, of, the, of the graveyard and return them back to their wife and their children. Can you, can you, but, but, but that's, what, 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 what did she say? How can this happen? I don't, I don't have a man. I don't have the right connections. I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the right associations. And he said, that which is born of you is going to be child of the Holy Ghost. I will come upon you. And that is the challenge of the Lord to this church right now. Are we willing to partner with God with something that has never, ever happened here before and may never, ever happen again? Are we willing to go beyond the normal? Are we willing to go beyond history? Are we willing to accept the challenge? Because I'm warning you, there are problems with the supernatural. We've got all these women here carrying children right now. My wife talked to her niece a couple days ago. Kinsey, just a tiny little thing. She said, Aunt Nay, let me show you my bump. And took that little FaceTime and, and they're all laughing. Oh, Kinsey's got a bump. You know, I saw, I, I saw uh, one of our precious ladies here just had a baby. I, I thought she was going to explode before that baby was coming. <laughs> Can't you imagine what's going on in Joseph's? Joseph, I got something to tell you. I'm going to have a baby, but I'm, I'm, I'm still a virgin. <laughs> He's a good guy. He wants to put her away privately. You know, your bump's going to show pretty soon. I'll get you big clothes to hang over your belly for a while. We'll, we'll find a hospital somewhere where you can have the baby discreetly. And the Lord said, no, no, no. We're not hiding this. Yes. I did that. Amen. Nobody did that except me. I did that. I want her walking down the street. I don't care what the rumors are. I don't care what the sneers and the jeers and the sarcasm is. I don't care. I did that. I did that. Are you willing to partner with me and the Holy Ghost right now for whatever our future may hold? but to understand in our heart of hearts because I'm convinced there was a discussion went on. Now, Lord, you know, no man is capable of processing that kind of information. And he said, I know that's why I got angels. And them angels went down there and said, Joseph, don't you be afraid to take her as your wife. She's filled with child of the Holy Ghost. Do not be very surprised in the next weeks and months. We're gonna have special circumstances. The service, servicemen call it in harm's way. You get hazard pay. This is where we're going. We're going to do battle with the enemy of this community that wants to do anything but allow us to build a new temple for the glory of our king. I'm asking you to partner with me and with the Holy Ghost. Let's put something up in there. And I'm not just talking about metal studs and drywall and bricks and mortar. I'm talking about people. People that are right now, right now, waiting, waiting for someone to come to them. Waiting. They don't have an order yet. They don't know anything about a baptistry. Talk in tongues, ghosts, what are you talking about? Is this food? They haven't got a clue, but they're right here, right now, around this building, right now. We got to reach them. We have been tasked with the harvest of this city. It's our job. It's our mandate. It's our mandate. 
Oh, Jesus. Jesus said, you're not just going to do what I did. Greater things than these shall you do. Would you please show me in the Bible where they had a youth congress with 50,000 kids? Would you please show me that in the Bible? It's not there. 3,000 got the Holy Ghost one time, 5,000 another. There's a picture on the wall right out there. Just look at it. They had 600,000 people get the Holy Ghost in one day. It's not in the Bible. It's bigger than the Bible. We serve an extra biblical Jesus. We do not serve the Jesus of the Bible. We don't serve him. And I'll tell you why. Because every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John end with the same story. His death, burial, resurrection, and then he leaves. Everything you've got in that Bible, almost everything in that Bible, there are a few exceptions of what he taught after. And we don't have a lot of it. Basically, he's just reiterating, I told you I was coming back. I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you. I'm telling you, the Jesus that we serve is on the other side of the resurrection. The Jesus that we serve is on the other side of the open tomb. His record in the Bible ends with the open tomb. But that's not the Jesus that we're serving. We're serving a Jesus bigger than the Bible. I believe he can do everything that's in that Bible. But I believe he can do stuff that's not in that Bible. Because that's the culture where, because in the Old Testament, it's known as windows. In Genesis chapter seven, he said to Noah, I will open up the windows of heaven. And he did. In Malachi, it says, if you will commit your finances to him, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. But when you get into the New Testament, it goes on and on and on because Jesus didn't say, I am the window." Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the door. I want you to know that in the book of Acts, Jesus didn't open up the windows of the prison so Peter and his pals could crawl out of the windows. The Bible said he opened up the doors of the prison. Paul's told in the one scripture, he said, there is an effectual and open door that's been opened to me. In Revelation chapter four, John said, behold, a door was opened in heaven unto me. I'm not talking about windows. I'm talking about doors. There are doors. It's a bigger deal. It's a bigger opening. There are more things available to us than have ever been available before. It's a one of a kind shot for us, ladies and gentlemen. I sense my own mortality. I'll be 65 in April. I know, I know there are things, I believe in the second resurrection. I, I believe in the catching away. I believe in that. But for me, when I draw my last breath, my work on earth is done. The Bible said in the book of Psalms and the prayers of David are ended. That when, like my daddy in July, when I draw my last breath, I'll never pray another prayer. I'll never cry another tear. I'll never teach another Bible study. I'll never preach another message. I'll never go to another, I'll never, it's over. Once it's done, it's done. This is our shot. This is our chance to make a mark on this community because it's what we do. Stand with me, stand with me. If you by chance are in this room right now, and there are things that have just hazarded you and hounded you and just mentally molested your mind again and again. You're, 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 you're going to do this. You, you're you're, you're going to be a drug addict. You, you're you're going to have a perverted lifestyle. You're going to get a divorce. You're go- Oh, for goodness sakes. Would you yes. somehow, the Bible's talking about lift up your head. Yes. 
Lift up your eyes. Lift up your voice. Lift up your hands. Why? Because I, I wish I had time to talk to you about the word praise. There are seven different words for praise in the Bible. One of them means that, that, that you hold your hands up like this. And, and, and it literally means I surrender. I surrender. But there's another word for praise where your hands are like this. Where you're not surrendering, but you're opening yourself up. There's another one. It's, it's known as a heave offering. It's just that there, there are times in the spirit where you literally can reach and pull down high things. Pull down imaginations. Pull down things that have just tormented you again and again and again and again. In Jesus' name. Come with me around this altar. These precious people sang a wonderful song and I'm convinced they'll sing it again. But I'm asking you, for those of you that understand the concept of what we're dealing with here, there's just a, a homogenous unification that's coming among us for the days that are ahead. But there are things that need to be dealt with right now. Things that need to be addressed in this service. Amen. You look good. Your dress is beautiful. Your tie is nice. Your jacket's wonderful. But inside of that head of yours, there just might be a war that's been raging for God knows how long. Isn't it time for a Sabbath? Isn't it a time for the God of old glory to step out on the bow of your boat and say it's time to have some peace and pull down those imaginations that want to be higher than the God that we're serving? Jesus' name. Sing away, sweetheart. Would you lift your hands with me? Lord Jesus. Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus.
best. If you want a difference, you need a subtraction. If there's something in your life that needs to change, we need to start by asking ourselves, what do I need to remove first? You see, God never made a ceiling. Ceilings are man-made. The potential on your life has built by only you and you alone. The voices in your head from other people, that's the only ceiling in your life. But God has never placed a ceiling on your mind, on your head, on your potential. It's time for us to get to a place where there is no ceiling. I truly believe that we, are a, we have the ability to be used by God to change things that only God can change used in ways that's never been recorded before, to do things that's never been done before, but it starts with a difference. My God, I don't want a difference in my life. I wanna be the difference in someone else's life. Let's pray, church, in the name of Jesus. I'm asking you, God, to show us what we need to change so that I can be used by you. I want to be used by you. I want to know that I'm in the presence of God, anointing on my head and favor in my back. In the name of Jesus, I refuse to move without knowing that you're with me. What do we need to change, church? What do we need to take away? Forgive us of our trespass. Forgive us of our sin. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Man, if you're still praying, stay in these altars. There's something special that happens when you push again in the second hour. So if you feel God pressing on your heart, please stay. We'll stay up here all day if we need to. But for everybody else, man, I want to say thank you so much for coming to First Church. This is not a one and done. If you can be here next week, please be here on time. And again, for everybody else who's still pressing in the presence, stay impressed. But for everybody else, thank you so much for coming. Have a great day.